Gentlemen, we're back. Dr. David Seaman joins me again tonight for another humorous show. Uh, we're going to get into the logos of, uh, what are we calling this again, David? Now I'm already forgetting the logos of... The uh, neuroanatomy. Neuroanatomy, or the neuroanatomy of logos and emotional control. Goodness, that was hard for me to get out. So we're going to see if we can uh, keep it light and humorous and whatnot, putting David on the spot for... Humor. We had a, good, a great show with David last week. Got a lot of really positive feedback from uh, the show last week. And uh, <clears throat> so why not have him back? And in fact, we've still got a, a couple more show ideas we're working on uh, putting out as well. So that'll be good. Of course, I, you know, it, it really bugs me that YouTube got rid of the ability to mute the the uh, feed before the show starts so then you're of course you're always reminded and uh, you know of course before they got rid of the ability to mute i would forget to mute it and now the ability to mute is gone so six of one half dozen of the others so hey everybody in the chat uh, welcome to the show tonight i see uh, some good people in there it's uh, good to have you aboard hopefully we get a lot more joining here soon um David has some screen shares to uh, share tonight and whatnot. Also, I appreciate everybody who donated and supported the show over the week. Of course, this is a listener-sponsored show, and we run on donations. And also, thanks for the Bitcoin donations and everything uh, that people have uh, uh, shared, donated. And, of course, Bitcoin has been going up again lately, so really appreciate the support with that. David, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me again. So uh, you had us all uh, laughing in tears last week. And, uh, you know, we don't have to go that dirty this week, but I'm sure uh, we can make it pretty humorous nonetheless. Nero Anatomy of Logos, are they referring to their channel? Huh. So uh, anyway, it's, uh, you know, it's like we were talking earlier about, uh, you know, the life what what was it the life and death of a troll well just just the life of a troll i mean just like it's incredible what do you do i'm a troll what do you do uh, i just i troll people on the internet that's all i do is i sit in front of my computer and i hound people and i eat potato chips and i just bitch people out all day long i mean what a great life what'd you do your whole life 70 years of trolling i mean what a miserable existence <laughs> yeah no kidding yeah, for sure. I mean, that's got to be a, I mean, you know, it's like you, you, uh, you know, if you're a Christian and you, you follow Christianity, you, you get up there after your life and, you know, you're before, you're before St. Peter and you're being judged. What did you do? I trolled and spread lies about people. That was my existence. And <laughs> I mean, you couldn't possibly come up with something more pathetic than that, but unbelievable. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and anybody who runs a show, they deal with it. Of course, you know, we've been mapping the whole, uh, the whole network of them. And it's pretty funny to see these networks and who they are and how they operate and who's behind them. But anyway, let's, uh, let's dive into the show today. Let's, uh, let's have a good time with this. Okay, so I'll do this. I'll do the screen share. Get that thing going. Okay. So let's see. So I'm on, I guess, right? Yeah. Good? There you go. Perfect. Okay. So this was the uh, 
the kind of the intro image that I put up there, but then I, but then I happened to go onto your website and I saw this and I noticed that this was like an hour before we were set to go and, and a troll already disliked it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes we'll see like, you know, a couple few dozen thumbs down before the show starts, you know, and they'll just, you know, I mean, they're paid to do that. So we just, just you just got to forgive their trespasses and they know not what they do. They, you know, they suppress truth and then pretend that they are truth. Yeah. And it's just amazing. Uh, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, the sort of carrying on what we were talking about last time, because when you think about like, like neuroanatomy in general, no matter if you go to, um, so I had a, 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 a chiropractor friend who went on, got, got a PhD in neuroanatomy, neuroscience. And, and so when he went back to take his neuro courses, he was sitting in the class with MD students in the, in the, in the neuroanatomy class and the neurophysiology class. And he told me, he goes, he goes, you know, no matter which healthcare profession you're in, everybody hates neuro. And the reason why is because it's really complicated anatomy to like visualize and pick out in, in a cadaver, a brain section or a spinal cord. It's very, very difficult. So neuro is very difficult to understand. And the problem that we all have when it comes to just getting through through life in general is that everything that we feel is going on upstairs in our brain and none of us really have a good handle on it. I mean, I went through my first neuro and then after I graduated, I went back and I relearned it basically. And, and it's not easy. And so the other problem is uh, as, as, as time has moved on and there's, there's evidence that shows this, this kind of interesting, you can see the role of nutrition in a child's uh, neurocognitive development, pregnancy through childhood. So kind of, of, uh, of, 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 uh, of going on from, from the last show. And so what, what does this mean to us? It means that we're moving towards idiocracy. This is from, <laughs> NBC, yeah, this is from NBC News, how the, the tragedy of, of ever lowering IQs. And so, and so when it comes to like the anatomy of, of intelligence and rational thinking, a lot of people are familiar with, with, with the term, the, if I put my hand right here on my forehead, this area here, my right forehead, that's where your right prefrontal cortex is. Essentially, it's your frontal lobe, but the frontal lobe does a lot of stuff. It's, it's, it's involved in like all movements, is frontal lobe. And so, but the very front part of the frontal lobe, that's where essentially cognition takes place. That's where cognition takes place. That's where rational thinking takes place. And that is where inhibition of troll-like behavior takes place also. <laughs> So the trolls have absolutely no control, although they're actually probably a lot more pretty smart because their job is to troll. But ultimately, uh, for the average person who wants to live a good life before you know they they leave this life, uh, the battle that we have to deal with is um, you can see this is a, a neuroscience book online, Dartmouth Medical School, and I just pulled up this section on the 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 limbic system, and the limbic system is essentially, I move this thing here. So you can see what it says here. The limbic system serves several functions. Most um, are involved in self-preservation and species perpetuation. Self-preservation and species, I should say perpetuation, not, not, not preservation. So right from the start there, you see the dilemma that all humans have to deal with, right? We are driven by these primordial drives. And so down below that next little uh, 
couple of sentences. So, so the limbic system is involved in autonomic. Autonomic is the most obvious example of autonomic would be an endocrine would be something gives you a fright, whatever it might be. And all of a sudden your heart starts racing and your, your, your heart's pounding and you can hardly even think anymore. That's an autonomic endocrine reaction to a threat that, that, that one might have experienced if they well, were not more aware and able to get out of the way. So, uh, and it's also associated with memory too. So, so this limbic system, you have to use your species perpetuation, self-preservation, part of your brain that's primordial drive, that's also where your memory is. I mean, it's literally, it's like, how do you get through life and, you know, and, and not be a troll? Because, <laughs> well, it's just, it's terribly difficult ultimately. So, come on, where's my computer? Is it gonna work? There we go. So this is, you mentioned the Bible before, this is from Galatians. So if you look at, uh, you can see 17, it says, you know, the flesh lusteth against the spirit, Go down a little bit lower, you can see a number 19. Let me just grab my pointer here. I can kind of do a little couple of things here. Here we go. So 19, uh, the works of the flesh are manifest, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, trolling, hatred, variance, <laughs> emulations, right? Seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness. I mean, this is basically the flesh that we do battle against while we're, you know, in physical body, if one believes that. And so this is the Bible, but then other religions have the same thing. I'm kind of partial. I like a lot of the, um, the stuff from the Upanishads and the Gita. And this is from the Gita. And this is, this is Ar uh, Arjuna struggling to deal with a very challenging situation. So he says, the mind is erratic, disturbed, very powerful and stubborn. And so, he asked, so Krishna, I think that to control the mind is, is as difficult as trying to control the wind. And so that kind of sets the stage for how difficult it is to get through life not being a troll. So basically, our, our, most of our, our, our self-preservation and species perpetuation biology is troll-like. And so this is why parents have to discipline their children to, to, to basically discipline the troll out of normal behavior. So that only sneaks out occasionally and hopefully nothing really bad happens. So to kind of get an idea how this works, here is a pretty simple cross section. So if I was to just slice my head right in half and then cut this part of my head open, turn this way, that's what you'd be looking at. And so a lot of people talk about, I'm sure you've heard too, the, you know, going to get a dopamine hit, right? And so, so this little simple image will show you where that occurs. So you can see right here, actually I'll show right here. So VTA and then NA. So VTA is called your ventral tegmental area. Now there are, there are basically two areas in the brain that produce dopamine and they send it out. So one of them is the VTA and then the other one is right up front here, it's called the substantia nigra. And when you have dopamine failure there, you get Parkinson's symptoms. So those are the two areas where dopamine is uh, produced, and of course they do different things. So NA stands for nucleus accumbens, and that sits right, so this area right here. So this area right in here that I'm kind of outlining now, this is your prefrontal cortex. This is the part of the human brain that can stop the troll from being a troll. And there are different sections of it. I'll go through each of them so people get an idea. And everybody has to deal with this every day because uh, we get 
activated by sensory input and it can be disturbing, stressful, can make us angry. And uh, so, so when I use the word emotional control, I mean, you really can't control your emotions. You can only, you can feel them and hopefully stop yourself from behaving badly when the emotions emerge, because they always pass. It's just in that moment to, to stop yourself from behaving inappropriately, you need to be able to use your prefrontal cortex. And uh, as we move further towards idiocracy, it gets much more difficult. And as we get further towards idiocracy, well, that's just, at least in my view, that will demand greater authoritarian control to keep the, 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 the idiocracy masses under control. So the VTA, now what, also the way when people talk about about you know, getting a dopamine hit. So I'm gonna give you an example of lots of things that activate this pathway. Now that VTA to NA, the, so the ventral tegmental area to the nucleus accumbens, that's the pathway. If I think, for example, about surfing, I can start to like feel it, wanna do it, I get motivated to go do it. Now that is the, the, this dopamine pathway in action. And the best way to look at this, I think, is to consider what we, we talk about food, for example. The average person, when they're actually driving to the pizza parlor, the donut shop, the ice cream store, they're having a whole lot more fun in their mind when they're anticipating the experience of actually eating the stuff. And then after it's done, it's like, yeah, I mean, it was good, but it's actually much more fun, the activation or the, the drive towards realizing it. And so, it's not so much for these things I'm gonna show you is different than say uh, drugs, like the way say, you know, the stuff that you've looked at, the suggestion, the suggestions, the way they light up the brain is different than this, but infidelity, gambling, drugs, alcohol, money, power, and then consumerism, right? Shop, shop, shop until you drop and then you need more plastic because you're so in debt. So all of these things, when you think about, depending upon where one's mind is, uh, all of us will get a dopamine engagement, the VTA activation, and uh, drive us to realize these things. And this is why uh, I think that you know when you look at television commercials now, particularly with our with our obese society looking for a cure for all their conditions, so I can sit on my ass on my couch and get cured, right? So so we get pushed into. Uh, wanting medications for our conditions. We get pushed into wanting new cars, new this, new that, based upon all the sensory input. And so the way one has to look at this, this is a very basic kind of intro to this. This is how uh, you know, we have to protect our brains. Now look at what it says, we have to protect our brains from our own thoughts and from sensory input that could lead us off the path of righteousness, right? Being a, being a good person, basically, do unto others. Uh, type of person, which is a very simple way, you know, to live one's life ultimately. And so what allows us to control the, the inappropriate realization of just momentary sense desires is this area called the prefrontal cortex. And lots of people hear about it. So we're going to go through it kind of step by step. And then, you know, I'll answer, you know, answer any, any questions you have, or if you get some decent super chat questions, you know, be happy to answer them. So my my uh, book that I wrote on weight loss, a quick shameless plug, um, this, this particular book was, was written not about food at all so much. It's more about how to control what I call you know, the eating beast within, 
the primordial drive because the self-preservation drive to eat is unstoppable until you become super duper old and just no, no food doesn't taste good anymore. And then you just kind of just, just wither away. But the primordial draft to eat is absolutely unstoppable. And so I spent a good part of this book talking about how to become mindful, you know, about, about your eating environment and be something mindful about anything that may or may not, or that may be un, unhealthy for us. You have something to add there? Amy asked, uh, <clears throat> how do you train the brain to stop negative reinforcement from addictive patterns? Well, you know, I'm not a psychologist. And so I really don't speak in that language so much. I'm going to show you the way the brain operates. And as I said before, if I am an, am I, if I'm an alcoholic, right, why would I go and take my computer and go, you know, surf the internet in a bar, right? So, so what you do is you, is you clean the slate in your home and you keep your home pure and free of anything that you know you have a problem with. And if one cannot do that, well, then they need counseling, they need therapy, and that, you know, that's really not my domain. So I'm going to show you the parts of your brain here that um, we can engage by being mindful. And I'll give you an example of, of mindfulness. Like when uh, someone wants to lose weight and they're going to do it vegan or carnivore or omnivore or whatever vore they're going to do, the second that they decide that they're going to eat a healthy diet to lose weight, they become mindful and then they're careful and they're much more disciplined. And so the part of our brain that does all that is this area that I'm highlighting right now, the, the red, the yellow, and the blue. These are the parts of our brain. So, so that question I was just asked, as I go through this, it'll show you the part of, now everybody here listening, and unless one has had brain injury, uh, we all can access this part of our brain. We just have to force ourselves to do it. And it, it, it involves being committed to something. This is why um, having good goals, you know, worthy goals, pursuing worthy goals and ideals uh, are, are, are very important for activating the prefrontal cortex. So look, I'll try to, I'll, I'll go through this and see if this helps uh, answer her question. So this is a, uh, well, first of all, this is the article you can see on the bottom here. This is the article that I pulled this picture from. It's a Frontiers in Psychology is a free online um, journal. So if anybody wants to read this, they're more than welcome to. Now I use this article to show the anatomy and I use this article to discuss the frontal lobe. And uh, this is also a free paper. And so, and this has like been known for a long time. And one of the things that was interesting, well, actually, let me just kind of go through this and we'll see, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll show you. So here we have, um, up here we see PFC, PFC, and PFC. That stands for, oh, by the way, you know, for some people, if they're really interested in this, it may take a couple of listens, because this is like learning Spanish, learning neuroanatomy, and biochemistry and microbiome is like learning a foreign language is why most people, the first pass through it, they suck at it. I had to do many passes through neuroanatomy to become somewhat, like I'm somewhat fluent in neuroanatomy, right? It took a long time to become fluent in it. So if, if people get a little confused or that didn't make sense, well, you know, you can listen to it again and, 
and then you can go online and look up some of this stuff and, and people can work themselves through and I'm going to keep that as simple as, as possible. But PFC stands for prefrontal cortex. And this area up here is going to be part of your motor cortex, oops, for movement. So, but the front part, so this is your frontal lobe, right? So prefrontal cortex. And so what we see here, DM stands for dorsal medial, ventral medial, and then medial orbital. The reason why orbital is because this is where your eyeballs are out, out, out in that area. That's where the, uh, the, the nerves from your eyes go back into your brain. So here is your VTA and the nucleus accumbens again, and here are all the drivers. So when we are exposed to things we have problems with, well, what happens is the VTA and the, and the nucleus accumbens get activated and they drive you. They drive you. Now the problem with this pathway, the way this works biologically is that, is that you just have to look at something or smell something and bam, it kicks in like a lightning bolt and you want it. Now the inhibitory pathways from the prefrontal cortex is like a, you know, a, a circuitous walk through uh, the Wizard of Oz following the yellow brick road. It just like, it's winding, it goes through the forest. It's just not as fast as it is when the drive kicks in. So to put the brakes on these stimuli is very, very difficult, which is why one needs to avoid these stimuli on purpose so as not to put them in front of your path if you yeah, know- Yeah, because they'll, uh, they'll lead you to you know, self-ruin if you don't. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, so if someone has a problem with now, you know, when you think about this down, down here, like you, you can think about power in like in small businesses and in families, but, but this is like, that's small potatoes compared to uh, government. I mean, that's power. I mean, it's, it's insane how much power these people have and why the average person doesn't even relate to that because we just want to live our own lives and basically not be bothered. I don't want to bother my neighbors. I don't want them to bother me. And off we go. But there are just this population of people who want to bother you. <laughs> it's just, it's, they think that they need, well, I'll show you what I mean once, once we get through this a little bit more. So um, this area, I'm going to show you different spots. We, we should have called this the neuroanatomy of the troll. We could have called it the neuroanatomy of the troll. You're allowed to change, like I think your title uh, on your on, on your YouTube. <laughs> yeah, the neuroanatomy of the evil troll. So, but I'm talking here though about because basically, for for you and me, our own the worst troll in our own lives is 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 our own brain. Our own brain is our worst troll, and so this is the dopamine portion of your. It's called the midbrain. And down here is where your spinal cord is. This area here is called the medulla. This area is the pons. And, uh, but the VTA projects its dopamine into the nucleus accumbens. And this first X here, this is where uh, the, a first key relay point for visual input. So you see something and you want it. Well, that's because visual input sends collaterals right into the VTA and pushes you to realize that thing that you just saw that you think you need. Now, right below the visual input area, and that's called the superior colliculus for people who care. This is called the inferior colliculus. This is hearing. 
I hear something I like, it makes me want to realize whatever I heard. And so visual input and auditory input uh, are profound drivers of primordial self-preservation and pleasure engagement. This area right here where I just clicked in, this is called, this is the hypothalamus, a hotbed of, of, uh, of, of endocrine and autonomic, you know, visceral uh, activity. This here, right here is called the, I'm sure you've heard of the amygdala, right? Sure. This is where it is. This is, this is the temporal lobe, and that's where the amygdala sits. And then we have additional input that comes up from our somatic system. Now, the, the, with the psychopath and the narcissist, the amygdala is basically undeveloped or underdeveloped. Is that correct? I do not know. I'll show you how the amygdala operates in this. And I, I do believe it is the amygdala. They're basically like, it's like, you know, poorly uh, developed or non-existent. Well, part of like a big part of what, what the amygdala does, it, 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 well, first of all, it has multiple, I've got a book almost two inches thick on the amygdala. I didn't get through any of it just because it's not my thing. Uh, but, but it has like 50 different sections section so multiple multiple areas operate but one of the big things it's most famous for is is assessing fear and danger and that plays a big role when it comes to you know forget the trolls right just forget the trolls just take your 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 ideologically possessed republicans and democrats who are convinced that the other guy is totally evil and that they're great you just take for example like sean hannity and uh chris matthews right i mean those two guys are polar opposites uh, and, and so people line up with, with, with those individuals. And so this presentation will kind of be a way to, uh, to, to navigate the brain so as to perhaps help your, help your normal viewers deal better with these people who, who are possessed by thoughts and they don't know that they're possessed by them. And now, one thing, though, is you can also fact check and make sure, you know, who is actually telling the truth versus who isn't of course oh absolutely yeah and that's the tool thing the if you think about it chris matthews and sean hamley don't all both tell lies they tell some truths and then some and then some propaganda and so you know, that's that that's a big problem with 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 navigating all of this particularly as we overeat keep our our, our butts seated not exercising and having our mental faculties kind of drain away as our iq goes into idiocracy land so here is this list of, of, all the, of all the various tempting things, because ultimately, um, as you, I mean, this massive, it's almost like, uh, you know, the, the, the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, you know, the Hydra, remember that from a Captain America, Hail Hydra, right? Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, the, 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 uh, the, the octopus dude. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we, we can't stop Hydra, of course, but we can certainly stop ourselves from behaving inappropriately. Uh, and, and, and that would be whether well, you, you work for Hydra and then, you know, that's a different story. That's a different, but most of your we, people, we can't presume that Hydra doesn't exist. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, in the, in the manifest world, the, the Hydra like, you know, somebody just, uh, posted, uh, and I just want to read this comment from 16 in the chat here. Uh, if you look at the EMF scanners on a tr on true psychopath psychopath's brain uh, and show them terrible images. Their frontal cortex doesn't light up. 
it's not damaged, but their consciousness doesn't use it. Well, it's because, you know, from my understanding, they don't have like a soul in the normal sense if they're a true psychopath. You know, they don't have uh, empathy and whatnot. They have to mirror uh, other people's reactions, and that's how they they get through life is by mirroring uh, normal people's reactions to such things. And approximately 15% of the population is psychopathic, sociopathic, narcissistic. I didn't, well, because I thought that psychopaths were more like 1%, but narcissism is certainly a lot higher. Uh, and I don't know the exact numbers, but this will kind of show the the, the, the neuroanatomy that, that average normal people use to control inappropriate urges compared to what the psychopaths do. So uh, this is from that article I was telling you before. You can see that, so right here, the, this is the ventral medial prefrontal cortex. So the emotionally mediated moral network, your moral network, the ventral medial prefrontal cortex in the, on the right side, more than the left, plays a big role. So now, you know, what can the average person do when they see this? Well, they can think, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to go through my life. I'm going to try to be observant of my surroundings. And when something bothersome hits me, or if I get a weird desire to do something, let me just take a pause for a second and get into my prefrontal cortex. Separate myself from all this madness in my life and get into my prefrontal cortex and, and see if I should actually act on this sensory input. Because most of our actions come from sensory input that we see, hear, smell, whatever it might be, taste, touch, feel, and then we act on it or we think about it and then off we go to, 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 to realize it. And we need to, of course, pull back if we want to be normal. So look, we're told here now in this article, so the ventral medial prefrontal cortex attaches moral and emotional value to social events, anticipates future outcomes, participates in the theory of mind, empathy, which is what you said before about the psychopaths not having that, attribution of attention-related tasks. So, so, so when you start thinking about this, your prefrontal cortex is what parents are supposed to, to instill into their children, like learning them to, to behave properly. Because what's taking place in a child is that they're, this is the thing that really sort of blew my mind when I first started thinking about this, this idea that you, you need to foster self-esteem in a child, really? Three-year-olds have more self-esteem than anybody I've ever met. I mean, think about three-year-olds in an airport, temper tantrum. The kid doesn't know what money is. The kid doesn't know where he or she is. No idea, standing there in defiance of the parents, right? That's, <laughs> that is self-esteem, right? Yeah. That is amazing. So what that, but what that is, uh, is a three-year-old has minimal uh, prefrontal cortex activation. They get taught over and over and over again. My mother told me the one, at, at one point, uh, so I was in my playpen, I was probably two, I guess, in my playpen, maybe younger, but in the playpen, and, uh, and I was throwing my toys out, and she would put them all, and I'd throw them back out again, and then she would take me out and have me, like, take my hand, put it back in, and I'd stare at her, like, you know, what do you, no, she's like, this two-year-old who can hardly speak is, <laughs> right, that right, is well, amazing. Well, and the, the issue is, children don't develop the understanding of abstract thought until just right around their fourth birthday. So then that's when they begin to understand the, the why of things, uh, you know, whereas before it's just sort of reactionary. 
just me, 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 and then then, then the whys absolutely start start to kick in. So you see the, the ventral medial prefrontal cortex. Now the other thing too about this, uh, when you if if someone has a normal prefrontal cortex and they see something unjust happening to somebody else, their urge is to go help that person who is being treated unjustly because they don't want that to happen to them. That's a normal reaction. Now whether it's you know whether you're physically able to like fight off some big bully is, is one thing, but the urge is there because you don't want it to happen to, to you. That's a normal development of, of one's prefrontal cortex, which is also why, which sort of surprises me, this whole thing, when you, when you start talking to a hardcore Democrat or Republican, and to me, they're basically the same. And what I mean by same, I'll show you in a little while, is that they're statists. They are convinced that without this like, this big Hydra government, there would be anarchy. I mean, they have fear, they have amygdaloid fear. And so, but it turns out though, that no, the, the average person, save for the psychopaths, which are a small percentage, the average person wants to treat others the way they want to be treated to live in peace. That's a normal, normal social construct, psychological construct that, that our brain is naturally attuned to, to to behave like let's see and yeah. uh just a couple of points here justin yeah. says he's got a couple of books books on psychopath uh psychopath and he says it's about four out of a hundred you know and if you factor in sociopathy and narcissist etc i think it's you know from a book that i just finished reading a couple of weeks ago they were saying about 15 percent of the population uh in that uh cluster of uh neurotic type behavior or whatever you call that uh that group of people. Uh, and then uh, Emin is asking, has Dr. Seaman heard of the Frenchman who only had a thin layer of brain matter lining, lining the skull, none of these structures, and yet held a job and as a civil servant? How, could, how would you explain that? I cannot explain that. I can only explain what I can explain. <laughs> so, so that I cannot. Um, there's a lot of brain plasticity that does occur. So you know, I don't know how common that is. I think it's more important to, well, for at least for me and for your, for, for your audience is to, is to understand this because, because ultimately, if we understand this, then we can be better parents, better people, better citizens, you know, better, better caretakers of our community and, uh, and, and, and know that all of this uh, controlling of the limbic system is built hardwired into our prefrontal cortex as long as we were raised properly. So, okay, yeah. just uh, one more here. Jennifer says yeah. uh, she dated a true psychopath, and you hit the nail right on the head. No empathy, and they mirror emotion to act as though they have that. That's exactly right. And you know, I've I had a recent experience with one, and uh, it's awful to say the least. And they'll, you know, they all they're doing is they're mirroring everything about you to make you think that they are, you know, for instance, your soulmate or the love of your life or whatever. And then, you know, after a few months, they uh, they switch their game and and go uh, a whole nother direction with it. And you're left, you know, trying to figure out what the heck uh, just hit you. But uh, um, so they said I had to lose it. I had to lose it all, move and sell my house and get out of town to lose him. 
He wrecked my whole house. Restraining orders didn't do a thing. He went to jail uh, over, let's see, three, four times even. Wow, that's that's incredible. And you know, and for those of you who've never dealt with a psychopath or narcissist, there are uh, websites online to help you. There's a a pretty decent book, uh, Psychopath Free. There's a there's a website called Love Fraud. You can check that out and, uh, you know, whatnot. But that's, uh, that. you know, what you're saying is pretty typical of these types of people. And, you know, there's a couple other that, others that fall under that, uh, that category, but it's pretty interesting to see them. Uh, yeah. and, and, if, and if you understand that they are a large portion of the population, you, you can avoid them. And then uh, gas, what is gaslighting? I suggest watching the 1930s film Gaslighting. It's someone that goes around and lies to you. And uh, they, th- their goal is to make you think that you are crazy when they are doing it to you so that it, you know, it screws up your head or whatever. So uh, anyway... Hopefully that helps uh, some of you in the audience who are bringing this stuff up. But you know, it's a it's an important topic, and maybe one of these days I'll I'll do a show just on on narcissists and psychopaths. I I did a few shows in the past on psychopaths, but they were more of the criminal element, and so that leaves out the relationship element uh, that most people don't realize is out there and so you know it's like a lot of psychopaths are not criminals and so we if we end up in a relationship with them it can be pretty devastating absolutely devastating yeah that's what i would say at least in my view is find something in your life that you really like doing and make that more of a focus rather than looking for that special someone i'm not saying that people shouldn't look for a special someone i'm not saying that but the point that was to make that it. It's much better to find something that gives one fulfillment if they're sitting there by themselves and they feel fulfilled. So that to me is a much, much more healthy way, way to live. And that actually gets to one of the propaganda issues that I, I think is really, really important is this, and I was going to talk about it at the end, but I'll just bring it up now is this idea of like, you know, you, sh- you should be happy, right? You should be happy. Really? What does happiness even mean biochemically? So if you think about, about, about the average person, uh, if they're, you know, and they look very, very calm and peaceful and everything seems fine, they're basically not unhappy. And, and so something bad happens, they dip into unhappiness and then hopefully that kind of goes away and then they get back to not being unhappy. And then something fun happens and they jump up into being happiness chemistry. Well, happiness chemistry can only be sustained for a short period of time. If what you actually what about have, joy? Joy, to, but well, I, I, it's hard. I, 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 I can't comment on that only in the sense that I think that joy and peace fall into the land of not being un, unhappy. See, because happiness is a surge of excitation. Happiness is like when someone is getting ready to go do something, they're running off to the donut shop. In that moment, they're experiencing this like pleasure moment. And happiness typically a place with like pleasure and doing what you love you to be happy as opposed to just being content. Right. And, and boy, so, you know, I think we struck a nerve in the uh, audience here with the psychopaths and narcissists. The the chat kind of lit up when we hit this. But Fire Daisy Full says uh, gaslighting is when someone convinces you that your reality is not reality by lying about what they have done. 
that you know they have done. The term is was coined from the film by the same name. Yeah, like I said a, a minute ago, watch the uh, watch the uh, 1930s film Gaslighting, and you'll really understand. It. I mean, it, you know, the the film hit home so hard that you know, 80 years later, the uh, 75 years later, the the term is is still heavily used. And I think it's even an official. <laughs> Uh, psychiatric term is it not I could be wrong on that but I know it's uh, strongly used for you know in uh, even uh, logic for a type of fallacious line you want me to keep going yeah sorry okay. go ahead no no it's, no it's okay. I just don't know if you had, you had more than fine by me as you know whenever you want to jump in so this part of your brain right here this medial orbital prefrontal cortex look what it does it mediates socially aversive responses changes responses based on feedback, inhibits, look at this, inhibits impulsive, automatic, and amygdala responses, which are basically fear-based responses, threat responses. So when you, when you take someone, for example, like say a Ted Bundy, right? If you watch the Ted Bundy, it's just unbelievable. This guy had like literally no uh, control of this. I mean, I'm, Maybe his medial orbital prefrontal cortex was just blank. It was just a piece of poo sitting in there with no neural connections anywhere else because of because of the I mean the, just the vicious stuff that 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 character engaged in. So this is your amygdala right here. I'm just kind of lighting up a little bit. This is the amygdala, and this is uh, so you have one on both sides of your brain. So they're, <laughs> I mean, literally. Your brain is, you know, is, is is sort of wired to keep you alive and preserve yourself and perpetuate, you know, the these species. But you have to do it in a, in a careful kind of way. And if we don't control all this, it's absolutely catastrophic for a lot of people. So we got this double amygdala. So here you can see mediates responses to threat and aversive social and moral learning. Now this area called the dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex can override the amygdala and do what? Applied reasoned analysis to moral situations. And so that reasoned analysis speaks to, to, to what you are most well known for is the trivium, as far as I can tell. If you look at it from a neuroanatomy perspective, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, this is where your, so this is the dorsal medial prefrontal cortex. If I put my hand right here, my hands now basically on my dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex, I go inside and that's my dorsal medial prefrontal cortex. So you have four sections at least of your prefrontal cortex that are designed to absolutely keep your, uh, your system under control. And this is where, uh, like I think about, you know, I, I, I look at these reactions like in, since the, the 2016 election, where if somebody wears a red hat with four letters on it, the meltdowns that people have are mind-boggling to me. I would never have expected people to have tantrums. So you think, well, why are they having tantrums about that? So if you step back and you ask the question, so this is a paper that was published in 15, and you can see, so it was the effects of stress exposure on the prefrontal cortex. So our nutrients basically nourish our prefrontal cortex and stress uh, can 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 damage our prefrontal cortex. So look look at this. Basic research has found that high levels of catecholamines, so catecholamines, uh, so epinephrine, adrenaline, adrenaline, and noradrenaline. Now in the brain, the brain does do, doesn't release adrenaline, 
adrenaline, also called epinephrine, is released by the adrenal glands. It's only the, the, the nervous system only releases norepinephrine. But look what happens here. So you have this, this stress release in the brain of catecholamines. So high levels of catecholamines released during stress rapidly impairs the top-down cognitive function of the prefrontal cortex. This is an example of your top-down. So you have your amygdala down here, all your impulses over here, and you've got to engage your prefrontal cortex top-down inhibition of the, uh, the, the, the aggressive inappropriate behavior. So, so we lose the top-down cognitive function, the prefrontal cortex, and we have a triggered meltdown, you know, left-wing, right-wing meltdown. Uh, and now, of course, because Trump's in there, there's more left-wing meltdowns. When it was Obama, there were more right-wing meltdowns, as in like, you know, this big thing, I forget who said it, but a bunch of guys, like crazy people on the, on the internet, Obama's plan to like become the king for life, never leave office, He's gonna go for a third term, a fourth term, and they go on and on and on. I'm like, really? And then what happened? Nothing. So, 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 the, so the lefties and the righties get stressed. Their prefrontal cortex is impaired. At the same time, look what, look what happens. The catecholamine, the norepinephrine strengthens, strengthens the emotional habitual responses of the amygdala, which is your fear and threat. And so they react in this, meltdown fashion to words that, I mean, they're just words, right? So have you heard the term dendrite before? Some of your audience members might have. Dendrites are uh, part of, of nerve cells. So they like, so, so, so the average cell is kind of like a, you know, just a, a circle basically. And, and nerve cells are like that, but they've got these projections that are out near where the, where the nucleus is. And these projections go all over the place. Those are the dendrites. And so you have this branching dendrites to branch and connect with other neurons, and that allows, allows for the richness of the neurological environment. And if you lose dendrites, then you lose the ability to engage your nervous system properly. So chronic stress leads to dendrite atrophy in the prefrontal cortex. It leads to dendritic extension into the amygdala and strengthening of the norepinephrine stress fear system. So norepinephrine, so like adrenaline, but different, released during stress can reduce your prefrontal neurons where you can control your emotional desires and inappropriate behaviors and simultaneously strengthen the amygdala. And that is why people must protect their brains from unsavory input that can obviously stress them out, which is why it's, I think it's pretty smart to basically turn off your televisions. Because all you get on all the news shows is endless propaganda. You know, you got Fox scaring all the so-called righties and you got all the other networks scaring the crap out of the lefties. Everyone's living in fear. They're living in a, basically a, 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 moderate, a moderate grade of idiocracy, screaming and yelling at each other, losing their minds, which is why you've done all those, those, uh, those videos on, on, on Islam, Judaism, the Quran, and, and Talmud, and everything else to try to calm down these crazy people who basically are losing the top-down inhibitory function of the prefrontal cortex. Well, and the fact that they're paid to go around and do that stuff. But, you know, the, the issue, though, is, is, you know, when you get in and you study Islam, they actually, if they are good Islamists, they believe all of that violent stuff. And 
And, you know, and then you, you nailed it. it going into the Talmud and researching if those quotes actually existed in the Talmud. They did not. All but one or two anyway. And then I did find them in Islam. And what's funny, though, is you're not allowed to say that about Islam, but it's okay to bash on Judaism all day, even if all of that stuff is made up. You know, it's the the enemy is the Jew, nothing but the Jew, and always the Jew forevermore, so help you God, amen. And, uh, you know, and there's like 1.4 to 1.8 billion Muslims. There's only 16 million Jews. And uh, the Muslims, because they're considered brown people with box cutters, are no threat whatsoever. They don't have any money. Never mind that the 60 or so Islamic countries out there today are formerly Christian countries that they conquered and took over. And never mind that... When you consider that they call themselves the religion of peace, it means that they either uh, convert you to Islam or kill you. And then when the whole world is either dead or converted, then the world will be at peace. So that's what they mean by the religion of peace. But those things are actually there. But we weren't allowed to point it out that, that it was in the Islamic text. You're only allowed to discuss Judaism. And so these people just lost it, you know, and I had you know, trolls galore, uh, you know, calling me every name in the book for daring discuss this stuff. And I sold out or I was a Jewish Mossad agent, FBI agent, you you name it. They, they came up with it. And the I- irony is that, you know, the citations are there, but what they would do is they'll, they'll show the one line in the Talmud or whatever that shows the topic, but then they omit the entire, you know, eight or ten page discussion around it that shows what it really means and then they'll pretend like that's what it's really saying when it's not so uh you know this is a serious issue in getting people to actually sit down and read this stuff and take it in on their own so that they can understand what it really is and who's the real threat and who isn't because there is a real threat but Chasing after ghosts and screaming and name-calling when someone publishes primary citations isn't the way to go about it. No, not not at all. And it speaks to, to, to this biology being manipulated by the manipulators. You know, if you listen to uh, uh, Aldous Huxley talk, talk uh, back, it was like 1960, did a talk at UCAL Berkeley, and he spoke to... Uh, you can listen to an interview of him. Sure, I've heard uh, it. Yeah, where 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 he uh, talks about uh, basically that there's, you know, he says, you know, uh, there's always been a controlling oligarchy, and there are always presumably always will be a controlling oligarchy, and in the and the ultimate revolution, you know, in terms of the oligarchy, is is learning how to control all of us peasants with through 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 means by which we agree to 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 be the servants rather than being than than bloodshed and so so there's this there's this endless input to control and scare people into thinking a certain way and and there is the 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 science behind all of this to engage people to behave in this fashion where the prefrontal cortex shuts down and the amygdala grows so that you just live in this fear state where you you know a single word triggers you into you know who knows what? Like if you dare to criticize Reagan in front of Sean Hannity, he will have a meltdown like a social justice warrior seeing a, a red MAGA hat. No different in in the meltdown. Or or Bill O'Reilly when he had on the son of a guy who died in 9-11. And uh, this guy was polite as can be. And O'Reilly was all over this guy. Just like aggressive, like 
shocking. This, this guy's father died and O'Reilly's just all over him. It's just mind boggling. So another paper, you know, and, and you jump back in a couple, couple of seconds if you want. So this is an interesting paper. It just shows an interesting picture that just shows, kind of illustrates the problem. So basically what I think is that, is that to some degree, and this is like, this, when I say I think, this is like an operational, it's like a scientific question. And so you gotta have a hypothesis. So, so my hypothesis is that the average person out there, if they allow themselves to be exposed to the endless propaganda, is that they live in a social, political, PTSD state. And if you live in a PTSD state, you lose the ability to engage your prefrontal cortex and the, and the amygdala self-preservation reactionary mind kind of takes over. And then you herd yourself into your, your, respective, your respective groups where you get all your groupthink. And so this just shows us down below here for the amygdala. So, you know, the fear response. Look what it says here, evolutionary. Now, by the way, I don't know why they have to say evolutionary survival. Really? Just say survival. If you were to say their fear response is based upon survival, would you say, wait a second, do you mean evolutionary survival? or some other kind of survival. Well, they, they have to drop in Darwinian nonsense wherever they can. Yeah, it's just absolutely unbelievable. Um, so in PTSD, what do you have? Well, you're more sensitive to stress, so you react more rapidly. There is a generalization of the fear response. And what that means is that things that shouldn't give you fear, give you fear and likely it's because of this dendritic expansion that allows multiple things that previously didn't induce the fear and then the aberrant behavior that will now do it. And then impaired extinction refers to the inability to extinguish the fear response, rationalize it, and basically set yourself free. And right here, you can see the amygdala conditioned fear. In PTSD, increased response to traumatic and emotional input. And here is your orbital frontal cortex which is supposed to function to control stuff and it decreases in volume with PTSD. So what you want to control a society the way Aldous Huxley talked about it was have them afraid, give them their drugs. Remember he said, I envisioned Soma because like Soma was like the first Prozac. Well, and it was mixed with birth control too. So they would be hypersexed and high, oh, yeah. you know. Well, there but, you go. So those would be all of those stimuli that, that humans enjoy. And then uh, Gordon Wasson labeled the soma as the uh, Amanita mushroom, and then mushrooms in general. But uh, interesting, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, so yeah, that's kind of my area. So oh, I know that. So a little bit of soma. You not did so use much. my word earlier. I appreciate that. Oh, oh, the suggestogen. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's a good word. So, so if we look at this, like, like, what would be the way to 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 really screw people up? And pretty much, you know, unless someone spends their time listening. To, 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 to talks like you have in the videos that you've done on the trivium. And then we realize like, huh, you know, I, I don't know how to think. I mean, that's the first thing that one has to do is like, I don't know why I think this thing probably is because I've been told it my whole life. I never even sat down and actually thought about it initially. And so to keep one from going there, you've got to have uh, people living in conditioned fear about, you know, I just put these five there this is just, to me, these are just the big ones, health issues. I mean, to, to literally have vegans melting down over meat eaters and vice versa, really, really, it's that amygdaloid that people are losing their minds online. <laughs> 
about well, and then you, know, you mix it with a moral superiority moral superiority complex with a, you know with an urban cubicle living religion and then uh, you know you're going to have a, a freak out oh yeah it's, it's unbelievable so so we had a couple of those after like i looked at a couple of the comments you know and as opposed to kind of like listening and you know sometimes the comments are innocent other times it's just like reactionary for no particular reason like you know we didn't talk about fasting last time Jan, what were we thinking? Oh, well, well of- you know what? And we didn't talk about 5G, even though it was a discussion about diet and nutrition. So <laughs> yeah, I don't get what that is. But GMO foods. Why oh, you 5G about- is the new wireless system they're right. rolling out, you know, but yeah. yeah. Why would we talk about that on a nutrition thing? Right. But, you know, like we didn't talk about fasting. But you see, fasting isn't eating. This was about <laughs> eating. Right. <laughs> it's like, duh. <laughs> yeah. So 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 there's these reactions like, oh, you know, and. And, and then we didn't discuss, you know, pesticides. Well, that's because, you know, I mean, it's pretty self-evident. Don't eat pesticides, right? I mean, it's, it's get your food as clean as possible, ultimately. There's another one about, you know, Atkins, like he, 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 because to me, Atkins looked overweight before he, um, before he would, before he had his accident. And then he became much more overweight for different reasons. But anyway, um, he looked a little heavy to me. My only reason for saying that. I'm going to pull up. I'm going to pull up an image of him now and see what he looked like. <laughs> well, well, well. He 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 looked a little heavy the few times I saw him on television. Maybe what was uh, his first name? Um, Robert. You have to do Atkins diet. I think it's Robert Atkins. But anyway, though, my only point of even bringing him up is because you can easily become obese on the Atkins food options if you overeat bacon, butter avocados and meat and cheese you can become obese and i'm so, looking for one where he looks obese i'm not seeing it but no 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 but see obese versus overweight like like being a little more stout than being lean oh yeah, right? d- d- yeah. oh well somebody else has him huge right here <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a yeah. photoshop though well because because <laughs> because, because it's, it's possible and i'm not saying that, th- that this is the uh, case because how can you really tell with just with, with just a you know a comment uh, in, a, in, a, in a in a in a in a youtube chat area but, but, but the big um, criticism of Atkins is like for the vegans is like, ah, oh, he died obese. And I wasn't saying that. All I was saying is that you can, you can eat foods exclusively recommended in the Atkins diet and overeat them and be obese. So no matter if you want to lose weight, you still have to use your prefrontal now, cortex. What about this, though? Considering a lot of inflammation is, or obesity is inflammation. Right. Um, yeah. If you get rid of the inflammatory foods, obesity is going to drop down, even if you're eating too much of other stuff. Well, I would just say this, ultimately, people become obese. So, so here's the best way to look at this. And the average American, so the average American gets about 60%, not quite that much, but just for you know numbers, it's easy. 20% of their calories comes from refined sugar. 20% comes from refined flour and 20% comes from refined oils. That's why people in America are obese, period. Now, if you decided to just eat pounds and pounds of nuts and cheese and avocados and heavy cream, you can be obese also, but people who decide to eat a higher fat diet for health purposes, they moderate their calories, their appetite, they, they have measurement goals, and that's an important thing. So let's just say, for example, if you have metabolic, the metabolic syndrome, which is a pre-diabetic syndrome, uh, you're going to have a waistline, if you're a guy, over 40 inches. So you take out your tape measure and you moderate your calories until you get your waistline below 40. 
and then try to try to track it back to the low 30s, which is what most guys were before they started to put on the weight. And so, and so for, 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 for all of these issues here, we need to have metrics, something that, that allows us a measurement tool so that our brains can be in perspective. So I'll give you an example of what I mean when it comes to some of this stuff here. So this was what I mentioned when we were talking last time about simple suppers are best where the USDA recommended to six-year-old little girls back in 1919 or to the parents, feed your children bread, milk, and plain cookies. Isn't that incredible? Now, you know everybody back in 1919 who was- who, who, with, a, with a bowl of cereal there on top of it. Well, it's just unbelievable. Yes, absolutely, absolutely unbelievable. And, but it gets and, and worse. That, and no wonder where this, you know, the cereal, cereal is essentially milk and cookies. Right, yeah. Yeah. So how about this one? This is mind boggling. And, and these pictures I put in my uh, weight loss secrets book to demonstrate that, that, the, that, that the, the, the what's called an obesogenic environment, there's this, there's this, it's almost impossible to maintain normal body weight unless you really get into your frontal lobe. You have to force yourself into your frontal lobe because, because the propaganda has been fierce. This is a hundred years of propaganda to eat this shit. Now watch this. Ready? World War II, bam, vitamin donuts, bitches. Eat your vitamin donuts. <laughs> vitamin you, donuts. You, you believe that? Wow. Yeah. And, and cooked not in lard or in tallow, but in vegetable oils, no less. Who so, knows? I don't know what it was back then, but it's just it's sugar, flour, and fat, right? But they had you know, uh, uh, fortified flour, and so they called them vitamin donuts, right? Amy is asking if wheat causes cavities too. Absolutely. Well, the thing about cavities ultimately is that cavities are caused by, by, by bacteria in the mouth. So the plaque that the dental hygienists pull off, that's basically bacteria. And, and if you eat even something as sweet, for example, as say raisins, right? There is, and I don't know what, which chemistry it is, but the, but the mixture of the raisin food, food substance and saliva washes the sugar away so that you don't get any of the bacterial cariogenic effects that does not happen with sugar and flour so you're saying raisins are okay to eat what i'm saying is that raisins are are, are not cariogenic at all even though they're very sweet compared to say you know broccoli but you take a donut uh the donut sugar flour calories are not washed away out of the mouth and they allow for a carry, the cariogenic process to kick in. Well, you know, one thing I notice whenever I eat something sugary or drink a soda pop, which I haven't had in years, you get a nasty film on your teeth that you can't get rid of. And that just, that film on my teeth drives me crazy. So that's one reason why I just avoid those kind of foods. Huh. Well, I don't know if that's what this is, but the wheat thing too, you know, like, like I think it's that, that, that we should not eat wheat for a lot of reasons. First of all, it's, 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 it's grown. Who knows how it's actually grown? Who knows how much gluten is in there and any of the wheat calories that we're gonna eat basically. For example, you go to a, 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 a restaurant breakfast. You say, yeah, I'm gonna get some oatmeal. Who goes over to the oatmeal thing, dips in the ladle and just throws a slop of the oatmeal into a bowl and just eats it like that? Well, you Nobody. need brown sugar, butter, sugar, maple syrup, sugar, sugar, there sugar, you go. and sugar That's to make right. it taste good. Right, because it tastes terrible. 
So right but, there, that you know, I, I used to brew beer though, and all of these grains, you know, there's a oh shoot. Now right when I went to say it, uh, the, the word escapes me. But oh goodness, what's the word called? Um, anyway, you take the grains and you heat them to like ninety some or low hundred degrees, and it converts the proteins in the grains into sugar. Uh, the uh, you're converting it into wort. And then, uh, and then, so that is what is then you throw the yeast into, and then the yeast eats the sugar and then poops alcohol. So that's the process of making alcohol is you convert the grains through the wort into sugars. And then, you know, but, and when you realize, oh, wow, all these grains at body temperature are converting into sugar, and then you add a little yeast in there, and then the yeast actually eats it and then poops alcohol and that's where alcohol comes from that's you know it gives you a whole new perspective of of grains as well you know and alcohol for that matter it's like well alcohol is poop and I, know, I didn't know that oh, you, I was unaware oh you didn't know that oh yeah I didn't know that yeah yeah, yeah yeah so that's that's where alcohol comes from it's yeast poo I didn't know that yeah I, I, I had no idea Go, so en- enjoy your wine tonight Thank you very much. Thank you. And, I, and I just bought some Guinness because I think that I like brown beer yeast poop. Yeah. So, so, so this is from 1950. How's this one? This is a ice cream cookie cake with your 4-H ladies on there. Economical, quickly made, nutritious. Attractive so, and delicious. Well, I mean, yeah. it does look delicious. I mean, I would have to take all the cookies off before I ate it. but It does look delicious. And so you can see from 1919, even before, straight on, we've been basically encouraged through propaganda, through being, I call it being Bernaysed, you know, not the sauce. You know, Edward <laughs> yeah, Bernays. well, yeah. oh, and Bernays sauce is good, though. Yeah, yeah, but plenty of, differently. Plenty of, uh, oh, shoot. Now, oh, I just forgot that herb that goes in it. Jeez. Well, I, don't, I don't know. but I have but some in there, but it starts with a T, and now I can't think of it. Sorry, go ahead. So this was 1977-ish. This is McGovern. Look what they were told here. This is where, and I mentioned this when we were talking last time. So you should get 50 to 60, 55 to 60% of your calories from carbohydrate. Now you have to realize how, how, how moronic this is. So carbohydrate. And, and it's contrary to all human history before then. And then oh, re- absolutely. And then reduce fat, whereas before it was 55 to 70% of your daily caloric intake was fat. So well, that they, depends on where you live, though. You have to realize that, that that depends. If you were in Okinawa, that would not be the case. If you were in if you were down in Fiji or 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 New Guinea or the Solomon Islands, that would not be the case. So if you're living depends. on a farm eating cattle like like most Europeans were, it's definitely the case. So give me my oh, yeah. give me oh, my absolutely. butter. I got hold on, I gotta get my increase my fat intake. Excuse yeah, do me. it, do it, do it. So but but here's my point though about this. What they're not showing us here is they're showing us here protein anywhere. Let's say just not showing us protein. So but let's put a P there for for protein. So here's how idiotic this is. Increase carbohydrate, decrease fat, and like moderate your protein. Okay. Well, first of all, humans don't go and eat just plain fat typically. I mean, some, you can, but, but humans eat food, right? We eat food. We don't eat carbohydrate. We eat food. We don't eat protein. We eat food that has protein, fat, and carbohydrate in it. So from the very beginning, this is moronic recommendation. So so my suggestion to people, no matter what dietary approach that they want to take, is they, and get, getting back to having a metric. So this is a paper that I wrote back in 13, or was published in 2013. And in this paper, 
you can see various markers. So here is the metabolic syndrome. So metabolic syndrome. Now here's why this is important actually. Uh, one or 25% of the total adult population has metabolic syndrome. So you're talking basically 30 until 80 years of age. 25% of the entire population has three or more of these. So higher than 100 fasting glucose, higher than 150 fasting triglycerides, HDL cholesterol below 50 for women, below 40 for men, blood pressure above 130 to 85, and then a waistline 35 inches, greater than 35 inches for women and greater than 40 inches for men. Good so grief, I'm way off of that. So, yeah. So let me ask you something. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Sally Fallon, and you had brought her up in the last episode, suggests that the older you get, the higher your cholesterol intake level should be to stave off Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, et cetera, uh, mental degradation. Do you concur with that? See, to me, though, that is too, like, like I don't look at it like that. She got, in my mind, she's sort of trapped in the whole cholesterol thingy a little bit. Most people are. Uh, to some degree. So here's what, what I would well, say. She goes the opposite though, increase, you know, because if you're eating 50 to 70% daily fat intake, you probably shouldn't need to worry about it. Correct. Yeah. The way you find out is, is, is again, so metrics, right? So you get a blood test done and you see where you are. So this is something that's very important. So everybody should have a fasting triglyceride level below 90. That reflects an anti-inflammatory properly regulated uh, fat system. And so we want to have our blood sugar well below 100 fasting. And we want to have our fasting triglycerides below 90. And if you have your blood glucose, let's just call it 80, and your fasting triglycerides at, at, at 80 also, who cares what your cholesterol is? It's not relevant. And the reason why is what happens with cholesterol, and you can see here actually, if you look at these various markers, all I have is HDL cholesterol. I don't have LDL or total cholesterol because it's not, it doesn't fall into the marker of inflammation issue. So the issue for LDL cholesterol, which is different than HDL, is that LDL cholesterol, it can become oxidized. And you know that your L LDL cholesterol and then uh, is, is becoming inflamed if your blood glucose is above 100 and your fasting triglycerides are above 150, uh, as opposed to way down below 90, which is absolutely anti-inflammatory. So I look at it from that perspective, rather than saying the older you are, you need more cholesterol or less, but it seems like the average guy in particular, as he ages, his cholesterol levels kind of stay, get, get a little bit higher, which is great. Right. And then, of course, they put you on statin drugs and tell you how awful that is when it yeah. should be going up and you need it to go up. And, right. And, you know, and the thing should be that you cut your 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 grains, your refined sugars and your vegetable oils and everything would stabilize and you wouldn't get heart disease and you wouldn't worry about strokes and things to begin with. So then they have everybody going the wrong direction and then they put you on statin drugs to... Uh, you know, forcefully lower the cholesterol because, you know, because you're on a, you have a, a statin drug uh, deficit in your body. Right. So I would say that I do not, I, I don't disagree with Sally Fallon. I just think it needs to be more complete in terms of, of, of identifying our fasting glucose, fasting triglycerides, HDL, and then our postprandial glucose 
and getting these to be as normal as possible along with your C-reactive protein. And at that point, cholesterol is, see, because your cholesterol only becomes a problem when the LDL particle becomes oxidized. So as one develops hyperglycemia, so elevated glucose, elevated triglycerides, what that does, that metabolic state is pro-inflammatory and it causes, and it causes both LDL and HDL to become inflamed. And so that to me is a much more functional and better way to look at it rather than just getting into the total cholesterol debate issue. Because, because in the end, the average, frankly, the average internist, the average general practitioner, medical doctors, they don't, they, they don't focus on these things right here, getting people to be normal. And part of the reason why is because they aren't, and they were not taught how to do that when they were in med school as they're learning all the different stuff that they typically, I mean, sometimes you do, but for the most part, you don't. And you know this is true because they want 10-year-olds on statins now, which is just criminal. Uh, yeah, me. it's absolutely stupid and ridiculous. Yeah. And doctors, I mean, yeah, they should be taken out of practice who do that. Uh, Seeking Truth in Christ says, if you want to eat cereal, at least buy sprouted organic cereal. I'm going to say I would disagree with that, and I would also disagree with eating uh, fermented grains like sourdough bread and whatnot. What do you say to that? It, I, To me, it goes back to what your markers are. So to me, if your markers are okay, then have a little sourdough if you like it. Like, here's the thing. If you have two two pieces. And, and if you do your sourdough bread properly, you can literally make it gluten-free, by the way, the way they, the way the, the sourdoughing of it reduces the gluten a lot. So let's just say that you're not a reactor to, to, a, to a gluten and you don't have a gut problem where you can handle, you can handle some of the starchy carbohydrates. Uh, I would, I would limit it to a taste a day. And I mean, I don't do this, right. But people want to get a taste like here, Jan, every crackhead, you know, needs a little fix once in a while, right? So, so how do you how do you temper your fix? You have to have a metric system in, I mean, a, a measurement system in place. So, so if one, I think that many many people, many people who 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 are careful with their calories, they're careful with their exercise, and these markers are normal, having whatever kind of grains you want, whole grains and sourdough grains, to me, it's not a big deal. It's a big deal if there's a postprandial spike afterwards, or if your fasting glucose is elevated. If not, then have a little. If you want, I'm not saying you should, Jan, and I'm not saying that I do. Now, keep I, I had a friend, uh, and they kind of went missing, a, you know, a number of years ago, but, uh, so their daughter used to get inflammatory issues. Now, she had studied uh, Sally Fallon, the ketogenic diet and whatnot, and, and their mom had lost about 50, 60 pounds in maybe six months and looked incredible. And then the daughter was still struggling with acne and minor uh, other inflammatory issues. And then, you know, we were constantly going back and forth over sourdough bread and then uh, finally they gave up, took sourdough out, and the daughter's acne and slight inflammatory issues cleared up within a month or two. So I kind of won on that one, at least in that you know, specific anecdotal instance. Except that you're absolutely correct. For some people, that is the issue to avoid. Now, you see, you're a ketogenic guy. So, so, so think about this. You're a ketogenic guy. You know that grains are a disaster for you. So you have 
an, an amygdaloid reaction to grains. And so, right, and so you're using, <laughs> you're using your dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex, dorsal medial, ventromedial, orbital frontal cortex, prefrontal cortex to, to, to force yourself not to engage in those calories because you know how bad it is for you. And so, and so for your primitive brain to hear it's okay to do it, you have a fear reaction. And so you're like, and so you give me that example. And I would agree with you. I, I think that people can, can eat those foods if they want, so long as they do not have a negative reaction to it. Not everybody does, but if you do, you should not touch the stuff. The, the issue is, as you know, from reading Davis's book as well, uh, Wheat Belly is, you know, it, there can be so many different symptoms from grains absolutely and you may not recognize that this symptom that you're having is from the grains until you cut them all out i mean if if there's 40 or 50 different possible reactions and each person may only get one or two or three of them and you know and not all of them at once you may not even realize that that's what you're reacting to i mean absolutely most, most people aren't going to realize that skin schizophrenia is also a reaction to grains and especially gluten wheat yeah, not anything other, it's, it's, it's actually gluten. It is gluten, it's not other grains. So it's definitely gluten. And well, so- the, you know, to argue that, it, you know, some argue that certain proteins in other grains do qualify as glutens though, or is that That's incorrect? Fine. All right. I, no, no, gluten is what it is. I mean, there, gluten is found only in, in wheat, rye, and barley. Now, if you're in a if you're in a factory where you have wheat, rye, and barley, and dust is flying everywhere, you can have cross contamination of the stuff. So, so in my Deflame Diet book that I that, that we talked about before, so the Deflame Diet book, there are two chapters in there where you can actually test yourself at home to see how you react to starchy carbohydrates and to gluten. And so, what you do is you eat none of the you eat zero starchy carbohydrates, zero gluten for really for like three days or longer and see how you feel, replace those calories with vegetation and, and well, vegetation and animal products. And then day one, the day that you wanna test yourself, once you feel good, and it can be again, a few days or a week, first thing you do is you wake up and you have a white potato to do a, a starchy carbohydrate challenge. If you do not react to the white potato, the rest of that day you eat still no starchy carbohydrates and no gluten at all. And the next morning you have a piece of, you know, from the health food store, the health food store, a piece of gluten called Satan, as we talked about last time. Right, get some and Satan so, in your diet. Get, get some Satan in your diet, right. So you see in just two days, basically a week, you can identify if you are a starchy carbohydrate reactor or a gluten reactor. And so if you are, well, then you avoid it. If you're not, well, then I would still I would still avoid it because it's, it's it's the least nu nutritious. But the point though is you know that 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 you're not a reactor to those substances. So to me, it's all based upon the individual and and their reactions to these substances from a metabolic perspective and from a symptomatic perspective. Oh, trolls. All right. uh, these poor people that are so reactionary. It's like this this guy's in their name calling at everybody, and, he, and then he's complaining for being censored doesn't realize that it's his name calling and behavior and then acts like we're trying to censor him for his beliefs. It's like, no, dude, you're being censored because you're calling everybody names in the chat and flipping out like, a, you know, somebody with their amygdala out of control. So I don't really get like if I don't, you know, if I don't want to listen to Joe Rogan BS with his intellectual, non-intellectual non, non -intellectual dark web, for, web friends, I just don't put them on. 
why would you expose yourself to something that you dislike just so that you can like lose your mind? Well, I mean, you see, you know, there's people that say if you don't have a specific, uh, you know, topic on your show, like this guy is is all about flat earth, then, then you're a shill for not doing a specific show. It, it doesn't matter if you do a show or don't do a show, they're going to label you a shill no matter what you do, you know? <laughs> and it's like, you know, I don't have a rocket to go up and look and check all of this stuff out. And it would take me weeks to go through all of the research out there and look at all the different stuff. I just don't have time to. I'd rather focus on other stuff. And there's, you know, a thousand other shows focused on flat earth and these subjects you know go study f flat earth british and these guys he's got a pretty decent show and you know it's not my area of expertise so why you know act like an idiot because i don't do a show and it's just like you know uh, it, you know they're like you said you know their their amygdala gets out of whack they freak out and then they're gonna name call it you no matter what you do just like somebody just said damned if you do damned if you don't so yeah, it's and, amazing. Uh, thank you for uh, seeking truth in Christ. Says, what about following the biblical diet consisting of fatty fish, red meat, olives, sprouted grains, raw dairy, raw honey, dates, vegetables, and herbs? I would agree with most of that, but I won't touch the grains personally. There you go. Yes. Yeah, so well, whatever works for you, ultimately. And, and and actually, the biblical diet is pretty excellent, especially you know the if you go with the New Testament, there's a lot less uh, restrictions, obviously, than the Old Testament. So right. I got to have my bacon and and whatnot. So uh, you know, I get like half of my daily fat intake from bacon. <laughs> I'm a bacon guy too. Yeah. <laughs> Are you? I, I love bacon. <laughs> I love so, bacon. <laughs> so so let's so let's piss off some trolls. Ready? How about this? All right. Okay? Yeah. This is a good one. This will piss them off. But this this can also help people, at least well, I mean, it, it has helped me when I try to negotiate because I have you know friends who believe what Fox says and I've got friends who believe what CNN and everybody else says. And so I'm like, and I, so I ask them questions. If they say, what about, you know, the, whatever it may be, I'll, I'll do, well, how about this? And then they start to have a reaction. And, and the reason why is because, well, they're not really prepared to like deal with the problem with, the, the political ideologies that are out there. So if I show this, right, to uh, now on, 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 on your show, the way we've been talking, like we haven't said that we are for or against any of this stuff, but the second you throw this up here, um, people will start thinking, well, like, what is he? Does he like this guy or not like this guy? Is he a racist or not? Or is he whatever? So I'm showing this picture. It has nothing to do with Obama. It has to Islamic do with those, traitor. What? It has to do with those two <laughs> jokers. So, so here's the thing. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, and it, it may or may not be. Uh, I can't speak about it. I can only listen to someone talk about it. But but I look at, behind Obama. And what I see are just two peas in a pod. Ready? So here's here's how I look at these guys. And, and, and this may be of use to some of your people. It may not be. But this is how I look at it. So here's so here's Biden. Since I've been in Congress since 1973, the national debt has gone from 458 billion to 19 trillion in 2016. Go Democrats! They're friggin' awesome, right? They work. Well, it's the Republicans. They work together. So what about this other guy? By the way, this guy's name here, like, you know, how does he get Boehner out of his last name? B O E H N E R. Really? That's like calling me. My name is David C. A man. <laughs> I mean, it's spelled not Boehner. Anyway, so since he was in Congress since 1990, 
<laughs> Three trillion. Are you trying to I, are you are you trying to avoid semen and boner jokes? See, I didn't go there. You did. <laughs> you did. You stepped into it, my friend. You you did. So 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 when I look at this, I think to myself, you know, they basically work together. So 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 let's just say that I had you know thirty thousand bucks in the bank in nineteen ninety. Right. Or if I was 30,000 in debt in 1990, I wouldn't want to be 190,000 in debt now. I mean, these guys are just the most, I mean, self congratulatory egomaniacs. I mean, so it's basically they're just it's narcissism. So, narcissists, soci- uh, sociopaths, and, and, and psychopaths, if you, if, if you can actually sit there and cheer for yourself after all of this. So, you know, when you start talking about, 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 um, about, uh, conservatives and, and and liberals, and you actually bring up a metric. And so so here's my metric to see if these guys are full of crapola or not. I go right to the government website. You can actually track the U.S. debt from 1790 to 2019. Now this one, this is old. This one here, you can do it to 2018 or 2019. You can track it. You're, do you know off the top of your head, Jan, the only president who basically uh, created a zero balance for the national debt? I do not. Yes, interesting. It's it's uh, Andrew Jackson. Yeah. Okay. Well, who founded the bank? So that would make sense. Well, he or, trashed no, he, the he bank. He trashed the bank. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And so then, he uh, yeah, and then he was much hated for that. So. Oh my God! Now, what's interesting is that is that during the last presidential election or the primaries, when they were talking about getting some of these, you know, these 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 slave owning guys, you know, these old evil white guys off of the uh, off the paper. Ted Cruz says the guy he would take off of our dollar bills would be, or you know, our, our currency would be Andrew Jackson. Well, and I that, mean, he would think it was sacrilege to see his own photo on a twenty, right? Oh yeah, I, I, I suspect so. But here's what the thing: like when Ted Cruz said that to me, I thought to myself, this guy's probably you know in the bag, the bag for the big bankers, and of course he is, right? So well, you know, the, then then we had guys like. Oh, uh, Paul, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ron Paul. Right. And, uh, you know, he was going to audit the treasury and then you go on the treasury website and you can download their annual CAFR report, which is their annual audit. <laughs> it's oh, like, really? oh yeah. His, his whole campaign was a scam, you know, I but know that. yeah. Oh yeah. You could go right on the, right on the treasury website and download it. You know, oh, interesting. <laughs> well, so, so, so uh, I so- downloaded a copy just to, find out if it was true and it was all right there interesting yeah. well 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 ted cruz wanted to get rid of andrew jackson and andrew jackson was the only guy who actually defended the u.s monetary system out of all of our presidents the only one nobody else but andrew jackson and so 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 to get rid of him would be the last person that you could look at who actually you know fought our criminal monetary system at least the way i kind of look at it. so so if, if we look at 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 at, at, at our debt you you may have heard, you may not have heard. A lot of people have, like like Bill Maher, would talk ceaselessly about how Bill Clinton handed over to George W. this massive trillion dollar surplus that he squandered away. So, and then you have you have conservatives that say that you know it's amazing. Uh, Ronald Reagan was a great conservative. I mean, yeah, fiscally he was the most liberal president fiscally since FDR. <laughs> That is amazing. So this can be like an axiom fracturing a, you know, a, 
a, a psychic fracturing event for some people. So I just kind of show you can kind of track them all the way. So I got 79 up to 2012. And you can see how the debt worked. I'm going to break this down bit by bit. So, so who's see. the worst in, in debt? In history? Yeah. Uh, 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 FDR. FDR. And then, yeah. so uh, looks and, like and Bush then, Senior and then Reagan. was the most and then, conservative. No, no, Reagan. Reagan. FDR was the worst, and then Reagan. In terms of in terms of, of increasing the size of the debt. So you remember the whole thing about stagflation or if you listen to, I mean, I don't I was like I nine during Carter's yeah. presidency. Or, yeah, or, I was, or I was five. like 19. Yeah. So I was, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I turned 20 in 1980. So I heard about stagflation later on. I, I didn't follow any of this. I, I didn't really dislike Carter. I didn't really, I, I found Carter to be, I mean, affable. Carter, Carter's a smart guy. I mean, you know, he walks his talk. He's a, Christian preacher now and and does like several hours of Bible study and then goes out and builds homes for people and stuff. And he's like 96 years old and he's still out wow. swinging hammers, man. The guy's, I you know, as as a, a, a person, I think he's a great guy and he's probably the last you know, a Democrat Christian that we'll ever see. <laughs> oh my, absolutely, yeah. Well, well, if you think about it, 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 it we'd be hard pressed to really see any true Christians uh, who are, who are in politics because of yeah, the well, Carter, Carter was probably the last one. I mean, he's actually a Christian preacher now. Well, if you think about this, then, then someone like that would want to control debt, right? Yeah. So look at this. So watch this. So Carter comes into office. We were 620, uh, 620 billion in debt. When Carter left office, it was about 900. So he, so 300, 300 billion under, to, right. Under under during Carter's era, and so he was criticized. You know, stagflation, the economy is falling apart. Carter's terrible, as if Carter did it himself. So, so so now you have Sean Hannity, and 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 I mean, these people they genuflect when they when you, when the name Reagan appears, as if he like walked on water. It's mind boggling. Uh, so you can see when Reagan came into office in 1980, it was about you know between you know, it wasn't quite uh, one trillion yet, but when Reagan left office, it was three times the national debt grew three times it took it took uh, however many years it was like off the time it was like 200 plus years right 200 and right like to, years to get to 900 billion and then uh eight Reagan years tripled to triple it. It. eight wow. years wow yeah that, that was that star wars bogus project <laughs> all the stuff that they did but massive massive so reagan started the deregulation and then clinton polished it off massively and so, then Clinton sent all the jobs off to China and whatnot. Yeah, NAFTA went away. You know, NAFTA screwed everybody like the you know the great sucking sound that, that Ross Perot used to talk about. Yeah, but yeah, this, yeah, yeah. I remember that. This this really screws big time. So here's Reagan again. This really screws big time with this. Reagan's a great conservative. What you know, conservatives? They're supposed to be fiscally conservative. He was the most fiscally liberal president since FDR. And you say that to Sean Hannity, and he will he will backpedal and call you names and make up all kinds of stuff. And so then Bush Senior comes in, and he took the debt from about three to about four point five. He actually then, had half the debt as Reagan. Interesting. Yeah, well, and he was he, ahead of the CIA and as crooked as they get, you know. Right, and but he was only in there for four years. Now, now this is interesting. So here's Clinton. He comes in. It was about a little less than four, you know, a little more than four four trillion, and he left with. Like five and a half trillion, so so you can see here how they time. This is right from the government. So 930, 94, 95, 96, all the way up to two thousand, and you can see every every year 
they track it and there was no surplus. There was always a debt. A debt. So, and so Bush or actually Clinton only uh, went up right. uh, 1.4 there. So that's interesting. Clinton was the most fiscally conservative president we ever had in the modern era. Wow. I mean, in the modern era, like since 1980, before that, Carter certainly was better. Uh, and actually for Eisenhower's eight years, there was actually a some debt. Re if, if you go into the 1950s, you can see the debt reduction slightly during the uh, during the Eisenhower era. But think about this. People endlessly talk about 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 po politics and spending and money and debt. And you have Bill Maher to this day and that and that goofball comedian, Lewis Black, who has his meltdown about the trillions of dollars that Clinton handed off to George Jr. that he wasted away. But you know, when we go down to George Jr., we can see George Jr. picked it up at five six. Holy that... smokes! Look at Obama. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so think about what Obama said. Obama said it was unethical, and I mean, and completely irresponsible to double the national debt. So then, why he did he? It. Why did he doubled it too? And now Trump. I don't know if Trump's going to double it, but Trump is certainly going to. You know he's packing on at least a trillion a year in debt, but this speaks to how you know people endlessly just blab 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 about Reagan being the great conservative and Bill Clinton leaving us this great surplus. Well, my, my issue with uh, Clinton was uh, I was living in Serbia with my wife and her family, and uh, you know they were raining missiles down on Belgrade while we're you know, while we were living there each summer. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know, it's what do you do when you are married to someone and living behind so-called enemy lines and they're raining missiles down on your head uh, because of Milosevic? And, you know, the whole thing in the media here was a lie. You know, I used to look out, you know, you'd see all kinds of garbage on BBC, Sky News, CNN, et cetera, and you walk outside and just like, huh? But, uh, you know, I would live there for three months every year with my uh, every summer with my wife's family at the time. And, uh, you know, it was it was awful to see the, the crap that that Clinton did. And basically <laughs> he supported the Bosnian Muslims and the Bosnian Albanians or, or the, the Muslim Albanians and the Muslim Bosnians against all of the the Christian groups in the area. And that was, you know, what was <laughs> Uh, frightening about the whole thing, which still pertains to what we see today. And then, uh, you know, we do see Obama out there. There's plenty of photos out there with him and his Islamic garb and whatnot. Yeah, it's really interesting. I had 20-some um, uh, years ago, I became really friendly with a Lebanese guy. And he said it was just what they would do when they would go into to Lebanon during the various skirmishes that they were having between Israel and Syria and whoever else. And how he said that that, that the Lebanese, uh, I guess you call them the militia, they figured out how to, how they're smart guys, they figured out how to like, like, like arm howitzers that were, that were discarded and learn to shoot with them like off the ground. And so he said, and we stole their radios and uh, we were listening to what they were saying. And, 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 and this is what they said, what new weaponry do the Christians have? How's that? Well, yeah, you know, to that point, when I was there, the Serbs had pulled out their old uh, 
World War II radar systems, and it shot down our stealth bombers, and that's why we don't see stealth bombers in use anymore. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> I didn't know that one. That I didn't know. Yeah, that they, I did not know. They, yeah, they shot down a, quite a number of them, and you haven't seen any of them uh, really since the uh, war against Yugoslavia. So, so I was uh, traveling up to uh, New York City from from uh, uh, in a direct flight from Tampa. I, before, I think it was, it was after after uh, Trump became the uh, the uh, candidate, and a, uh, a not that well known political punditry person. I don't even know what, what what the person's name was, but she sat down between two of us, and the guy knew her. I kind of recognized her a little bit, and they started talking, and then she would talk and like wanted to sort of like do one of her things that they do on Fox and CNN. Are we, should we get rid of the share screen? Are you still showing stuff? I'm going to show you some stuff here. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's one more thing I do want to show you. So, 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 so I'm like playing, uh, you know, anti-Democrat, anti-Republican simultaneously, which of course she couldn't take because you got to pick sides. Right. And I was, and, and very, very smart, obviously on television, short, smart, smart, smart. Um, and she, and she carried on about, I said, well, you know, the national debt grew massively under, under uh, Reagan and, and, and she goes, he goes, oh, well, he fought communism. And I'm like, I didn't expect that one to come up. So, <laughs> and I didn't have a you know, response because it's not what I talk about. I talk about, you know, inflammation and, and pain and, and you know, neurology and biochemistry. And so, so I'm like, all right, well, let me just go look into this and see. So, so let's look into, so here's a communist manifesto. You know, when you, when you think about it, how many people have actually read the manifesto or even a little bit of it? Like people think that basically communism is, is simply collectivism, right? everyone gets the same thing. People have weird ideas about what it is. And so it's much better to actually look at communism from the perspective. So, so I have the answer to that political pundit person. Now I just didn't have it at the tip of my tongue. I'm gonna show you the best way to answer it. All right. So, this, so this, these are the 10 planks of communism. This is the 10 planks of the communist manifesto that, that so these must be in place for communism to be running the show. Forget about, you know, didn't work in Russia, blah, blah, blah. This is what it is. So let's just look at what, what we have in America. So here's number one. Do we have a heavy progressive graduated income tax? Yes. Our tax system is directly out of the Communist Manifesto. How's that? <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. How about a Credit centralization of credit in the hands of the government central bank. Oh, we got that one too. What about centralization of means of communication and transport that the state runs? Well, we got that too. In, about, a, in a way, but when I lived in Yugoslavia, the government actually owned all of the phone companies and everything like that. Whereas, you know, we have a, a sort of a sense of them being private corporations, but yeah. I agree. But ultimately though, you know, if you like FTC traveling, transport, right? If you think about, about, about what can, highways are, everything's controlled by the feds to some degree. I mean, they have the oversight. So it's like soft, but it certainly is sure. uh, Department of Transportation, Department of whatever, you know, the, the flight, uh, uh, the aviation uh, department is. It's free education in public schools. Now, people, people would immediately come back and say, well, you, you, you think it should, we, we, we should charge children? It's not the point. Isn't sure, the point. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it used to be that either parents educated in them themselves or they were educated through the church. So I'm, right. you know, I'm not for public education, you know, in the, for most, for the most part, but I suppose for those who don't want to pay for 
uh, their children's education or homeschool them. It's better than them not being educated at all. Absolutely. So, so, but, but, but a defender of the state, so a big status would argue like, well, how are we going to have school if the government doesn't do it? Well, how do we do it when de Tocqueville came through America in like 1830 or 40 and wrote Democracy in America? You know, de Tocqueville's uh, I haven't book. read it. Well, you know, yeah. what's interesting is up through the 1870s, you know, the eighth grade educated homeschooled people had about three or four times the education of uh, college grads today. So, I Precisely. mean, you, you can't Precisely. even, you know, most people today are unable to read Civil War letters between the soldiers and their families because their, uh, their, language, their their vocabulary is over most of our heads today. Well, have you heard of the McGuffey readers? Uh, I'm not sure. The McGuffey, well, we'll just like make a note of that. It's, 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 it's what all of your homeschool, all of your one-room schoolhouses used to use. They had the, uh, you know, the, the kindergarten reader, the first grade reader, and on okay. and on and on. And then the older kids would help the younger kids. So right, well, the, yeah, and that's I've made that argument on my own show many times. So yeah, that's yeah. why the the single room schoolhouse was by far the best because the older kids taught the younger kids, and in doing so, they reinforced their own education through teaching the younger children. So Precisely. they became educators as well as learners in the process. And so each grade taught the lower grades. And by the time they, you know, by the time they finished eighth grade, it was equivalent of a of a bachelor's degree today, or actually better than your average bachelor's uh, graduate today. So, you know, and then you, you know, and people wonder how, you know, uh, a twelve year old or fourteen year old could run a huge corporation back in the eighteen hundreds, and this is how, you know, they were absolutely brilliant people in the eighteen hundreds. And and. De Tocqueville said, he goes, wherever I went in America, whether it be city or urban area or small little small little town in the mountains, I was amazed to find out how well-educated the American people are. Well-educated in terms of understanding, understanding basically the true liberal arts and aware of the, 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 the socio-political environment of that day. Yep. So I only made that issue about the uh, the free education is just it's just because well, it dumbed us down since then for sure. Oh, idiocracy galore. This is just to show us that that these four, the top four are absolutely in place. Now this one here is a little bit different, but extension of factories and this was a production owned by the state. If you tax the instruments instruments of production and you can regulate the instruments of production then you essentially own them by default, not so much directly, but you still control them. So this is not exactly. Right. Well, insane. and but when I lived in Yugoslavia, the government uh, did own most of the large uh, corporations. You could have small businesses and whatnot, but the government owned all means of production straight out. So, so this is not exactly the same, but we have a soft version of this. Right. Now, how about this one here? Abolition of property and land and application of all rents to landlord. So you're, and you're going to say property taxes there. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah. So you never actually own your own property right. ever. And, and, and the argument is going to be, well, like, how could we have roads? Right. The only way the only way that we could possibly have a friggin road or a school is for you to never own your own house ever. <laughs> <laughs> right. So so we have these six basically in play. These seven, eight are kind of in play. And the nine and ten are not so much. So, so this looks to me like Reagan didn't fight communism very much. Yeah, and, so it's like we're halfway there essentially. Confiscation yeah. of property, immigrants, and right. 
So where is our capitalist society? And, they, that and, is and you know, they're trying to bring in equal obligation to work right now. That's, you know, that's part of uh, OA, uh, AOC's rhetoric. So, well, she's trying to, I guess, I mean, I don't really know, but, but, but ultimately her rhetoric and Bernie Sanders rhetoric is essentially to, 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 to instill one planks, one through, through 10. So this idea like, you know, that Fox would be talking, I wonder if, I wonder if, uh, if, if, if Obama's a socialist, but well, he's a communist, just like Reagan was. I mean, none of these guys actually rolled back communism. I mean, think about that. Right. Well, we you didn't... know, and, and, you know, wherever this stuff is implemented to its fullest extent, one after another, after another, these, these countries and societies collapse. And then they, they move it to a new location, do it over again and say, well, we didn't implement it correctly last time. And they do it all over again. So, you know, this time they're going to get it right and it's going to work perfectly and we're going to have a utopia. It's like, you know, the uh, Massachusetts, uh, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. That was a, a communist. That was a communist test run back in the uh, 1600s, you know, and that failed. You can read the letters of the governor at the time. And he's he just said that, you know, the whole system sucked. Yeah. The, the interesting thing is that if, if you listen to the mainstream media and then the you know, you know, the biggest, most popular podcast, you know, the whole Rogan podcast cluster crew, where they think that they're having this like conversation about blah, blah, blah. And not one of them talks about this issue right here. Like they have no idea apparently that we actually live in mostly a communist country without even knowing it. And that's because these things are all in place. And well, so give, uh, about- give AOC and these uh, others a little bit more time and they'll get the rest in. And then, well, I know, yeah, then you won't have yeah. anything to complain about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can, I, yeah, we can go off screen now because we're kind of like uh, winding down. I've, yeah, I've got more, you. but we, well, but we can certainly do it, do it later though. So let me, um, I got to give my screen back to you, right? Let's yeah. See. Yeah. Just hit the unshare button up there. Stop the, there we go. There we go. Hey, I can see you now. You're not in such a tiny window. Yeah. So what's next? Well, I mean, I can do more, but I, but, uh, uh, well, I have one more thing, you know, so, so, so you think about, about how we live in this capitalist society, right? And then one of the other slides I was going to show you was this picture of is a Texas cops shut down girls, illegal lemonade stand. Oh yeah. Well, you know, it's, fu- I'm, I'm, I'm glad you just mentioned that you should actually show that really quickly okay. because right. I was driving somewhere yesterday and I was thinking Alabama just passed a law where if a kid gets caught mowing lawns without a permit, uh, they can be thrown in jail or whatever. And, uh, you know, so uh, and then that struck me about the uh, the stupid lemonade stand things, too. There you go. So, go. yeah, I mean, you know, look at those criminals, you know. It's absolutely outrageous. So I thought we lived in a capitalist society. No, no, because you have all those brutal control mechanisms where you're going to... Well, gonna they, do- they are selling sugar, so it has to be regulated. Yeah, I know. But I mean, they're only like six and they're trying to get their father to go to Wally World. I mean, big deal. You know, who cares? A little bit of sugar for the kids. It's Thank not, you. you know, it's not- Thank you, Seeking Truth in Christ. They say uh, we're living in Sodom and Gomorrah 2.0. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And so so, so, so backing up, what it, what it really is, is it's a... You heard about the whole thing about the, the U.S. being an oligarchy, right? The sure. paper that came out. Yeah. So not not surprising. So this was, um, I think, in the New Yorker magazine. This was the BBC. I got the actual article. You can just get it right here. So it doesn't say oligarchy in there, but if you search through it, you can find that. And basically, they say that a small group of people you know, controlled America. Not a surprise. Not a surprise. 
but you wouldn't know that that's the case based upon the way these poor people who are who are basically immersed in the left-right political paradigm vortex. If you want, I can whip through that real fast. It's kind of interesting. Let me right. whip through that real fast. Well, sure. Real, you know, and yeah. just so people understand, when you get, you know, in biblical terms, the left and right paradigm is based on the left-hand path or the, you know, the goats to the left, sheep to the right. And so in that sense, it's biblical because the left is Satanist. And, you know, and the, the left, ironically, does associate, you know, with the with the whole degeneration of society, uh, the promotion of everything that the Bible is against versus the right being correct behavior, what we started with in the show, following morality, etc., following what is true, what is correct, sticking to truth, following Logos, uh, which is in the title of the show. So that being right, the left being not following Logos, the right being following natural law, truth, God, the left being following Satan or Baphomet and the goats. So just to preface with that, go ahead. So so this is just kind of the, the intro statement. This is kind of my view of this, that this paradigm is a is an authoritarian oligarchical political vortex. So just like Huxley said, people basically unknowingly are embracing their servitude and slavery ultimately. And so I didn't know about the the, the paradigm that you're describing from the Bible, but um, the average- there's, a, there's a, sorry to interrupt, there's a really yeah. good video by uh, Rockin' Mr. E, the right versus left paradigm or something like that. I recommend okay. people check that out. He runs it down or just, you know, sit down and read the 410 or 20 pages of the uh, New Testament and it'll break it down very clearly as well. But at least in terms of the political paradigm, it began actually French Revolution. And, and the way that worked out was 1787. And so basically had to do with where the, where the people sat in parliament after off came the heads. And so they had the, the word progressive was put in more recently, uh, but it was the people who were the anti-monarchists, they sat on the left side of, 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 of the room and then the pro-monarchists sat on the right. And so that's the origin of it ultimately. And to me, this whole thing has become a swarming, this is like a hurricane, cruising into crush Florida and Cuba, and everybody else, <laughs> right? And to me, this is like, you have to keep people confused and living in fear to control them, I think. So so here's kind of like the way to look at this. So just imagine like this is a now, we have no idea about where anything began. We're just living in this weird left-right paradigm. And where do we get all of, of, of our information from? Maddow, Matthews versus O'Reilly and Hannity. I mean, it's just pathetic. So uh, this is where they sat in the in the assembly. So we're going to kind of blend Always that out. Always fact check your beliefs is what it comes down to. Follow yeah. truth, you know. Yeah. So, so the current paradigm is this: communism is on the left, fascism is on the right. Well, that's, and that's even false too, because Hitler was a socialist, so technically he's left. So they've given us a false right on top of that. Completely. So I'm going to give you a metric, actually, and your audience a metric took. It was to what was it the. German Socialist Workers Party or something like that. I mean, they're yeah. clearly leftists, but how does, you know, and then they give us a false right, uh, and then they claim that the left leftists like Hitler and Mussolini were right. And then, of course, Trump and everybody else gets labeled as, as Hitler, as yeah, did, as did uh, Milosevic when I lived in Serbia, you know, and he was, uh, you know, st uh, touted as being like Hitler every single day, and he was a complete communists so <laughs> it's, it's just so so in order to like w wade through the uh, the hurricane of confusion for all this 
I think that I learned it, this uh, way, to, way, way to look at, at, at politics about 20 years ago from a really smart guy who had a history master, a, a history major when he was in college. So, so basically now you have you know, the, 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 the so-called lefties are on the, are Democrats and you got Republicans over there. And so pro-abortion, anti-abortion. Now I think that the abortion thing should be, I'm pro-abortion or I'm anti-abortion. We have this pro-life. See, even this, these words are idiotic. Pro-life, pro-choice. Either you're pro-choice, no choice, pro-life or anti-life. I mean, why not use language properly? So the Democrats are pro-welfare and Republicans are not, obviously, and are on the right, anti-war, pro-war. And I'm just throwing this up here just as examples, nothing to like, and, and, and there's obviously more that they can do. Well, this is kind of you know, and it, through Christianity, which would be considered more right, you, it, they're not anti-welfare per se, because uh, what the Christians do is they give to public, you know, through public charity. Absolutely. And, whereas the Democrats like the government to steal from people and redistribute it. So that's totally oh, I, different. Oh, I agree. I'm just giving the, this is the paradigm that we are presented with. And I, and I think that we should reject this paradigm because it's frankly idiotic because there's no metric involved. There's no way to tell you if your government's inflamed. Like you need to be able to do a <laughs> test, right? Right. There's no way to tell if your government is inflamed. So let's get back to, to these guys. So here we have for the left and the right paradigm. Why would you want to be in this paradigm where the extremes of your paradigm are totalitarian murderers? Right. Why would you even participate in that idiotic deal? It just well, makes no sense. And you forgot uh, Pinochet and some others in there, too. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I know. Oh, absolutely. So this was actually very interesting. This can bring us into a little bit of the intellectual or non, into the non-intellectual dark web. I'm not, and I'm, I'm saying they're not intellectual, not because I think I'm an intellectual. I'm basically the grandson of, of a butcher who tries to like clear my brain of stuff and try to learn. So this article called The Big Sort in The Economist talks about uh, the, the, big, uh, the big five personality traits in relationship to political leanings. And so this is what Jordan Peterson talks about a lot, and he's talked about it a lot on Rogan's show as well. And in fact, this article here, they cite papers written by Peterson's lab when he was up in uh, up at the University of Toronto. So basically he says this. So you've got your lefties, you know, your liberals, uh, Democrats, they're out of the openness. So you have openness and you have conscientiousness. So Democrats tend to be more open, Republicans more conscientious. And then you have two domains of agreeableness. One is compassion, one is polite. And once again, Democrats I asked, are more open. You mean when they're screaming at people for their being different? Don't judge or? it. Just, just, just all go right, with it. All right, all right, just, just go with, go with P Peterson's. It's malarkey. all bullshit. The yeah, whole okay. thing is bullshit. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Peterson took over Leary's job at Harvard. Red flag. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but think about this now. So, in other words, if I'm a Democrat and I'm extremely open to new ideas. And I'm extremely compassionate. Anal sex and murdering babies. Let me go the other way, just because you can't <laughs> stop talking. So let's just say I'm a Republican. I'm extremely conscientious and I'm polite. Does that mean if I become extremely polite, I'll become a totalitarian murderer? Think how bizarre that is. You cannot use this metric of the left-right paradigm where if you're extreme in your conscientiousness, you now will become Mussolini and Hitler. Right. It's just the most moronic way. So how can someone like Jordan Peterson not realize how completely 
completely idiotic this is. Well, you so, know, and, 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 you know, people have shared my papers with him a number of times. And of course he still touts the same BS. So, and I've got, I've got video of them personally handing I saw my that. papers to, <laughs> did you? Yeah, yeah. I saw that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, so here is, I think the best way. So if you ever go to a medical doctor, a chiropractor, physical therapist, and you have back pain or any other pain, they're going to ask you to rate your pain on a scale from zero pain means zero, zero means zero pain, and 10 means the worst pain you could possibly have. And that way you can track recovery if the treatment is working. So you have a measurable uh, tool to monitor success. So you have to have a measurement tool for government. You can't measure it by agreeableness or conscientiousness or all these other idiotic personality traits. That's not how you measure government because government is pure power, right? If you don't pay your property taxes, you lose your house. That's some friggin' power these people have. So the best way to look at this is the far left. Now, the far left, this image would be total government, pure power, right? Authoritarian, Marxist, Bolshevik, communist, socialist, fascist, monarchies, oligarchies, basically statism. And then you have Democrats and Republicans. Basically, they are both left wingers. Because, because you saw how government grew massively and regulations in terms of all the laws grow massively year after year after year. D uh, Republicans do not pull back any of the communist regulations and neither do the Democrats at all. So we know that Democrats and Republicans in the context of political power, they are both lefties. And so all these names here are just more bullshit. This is just alt-right big deal. Neocon, neolib, who cares? What do they care about? Power, that's what they care about. So on the other side, you got anarchy. Now, people don't know what anarchy means. They think anarchy means the top one only. Disorder, right? And look at where it says, so, so lawlessness, nihilism, mobocracy, on and on and on. And then, of course, the action, another word is just simply absolute freedom. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that there should be no government, right? But you show this to a statist. And I've described in this language to statists, Democrats, and Republicans, because they're all statists, and they have a, an, an amygdaloid fear reaction going, well, we can't have no government. I never even suggested that we shouldn't have a government. But they go right to that because they are such hardcore statists. It's absolutely unbelievable. So well, the, the issue is, is the whole world would have to become non-statist all at once for the thing to work, you know? Well, yeah. So, so ultimately, the, the U.S. appeared to have it right originally because we had this thing called the Constitution that was supposed to control the power and keep the power away from the psychopaths. So really, like if you want to be label yourself as something, you should label yourself as a constitutionalist. Right. That would be the best way to label one oneself because they guarantee freedom. I mean, the Bill of Rights were put there for fear of big government coming in. Right. Now, of course, so, so, so you can see here that basically your Democrats, your Republicans, all these other guys, they're all authoritarian. So this idea that we're like moving to the left, we have been there for decades and decades. Now, and what about under the true history of anarchy in ancient Greece, there was what three or four rulers. And that's why it was in such disarray is because they had so many rulers. There was no rule. I do not know. I, you know, I'm, I'm more familiar with, with like reading the popular. Through. Yeah. Right. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I've, I've studied a bit of the, you know, the, the, the constitutional history and like Patrick Henry, and I've read a bit of the federalist papers, the anti-federalist papers, but I think this is what, what kind of happens ultimately. 
is that the average person has no idea that 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 that. that so everybody should just follow the Constitution and follow truth and logos and. Yeah, and you shouldn't follow. You should not follow Maddow, Matthews, O'Reilly, and Hannity. They do not have the paradigm the paradigm down for us. But so so you you tell the average person who is not a listener of yours, who's interested in Logos and, 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 and the Trivium, and they have meltdowns when they find out that- Constitutional Republic. Why do they call us a democracy now when it was a republic, you know? Right, exactly, exactly. So, you know, if you look at- uh, Mob, Mobocracy, sorry. Mobocracy, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's Trump- Idiocracy, mobocracy. Yeah. Is Trump going to drain the swamp? Probably not. He's, he's gotten rid of a lot of it, but we got we to gotta see- yeah, well, I'm just saying though. If you here's how you'd know you you start to roll back communism. Yeah. See, because there there because there's a measurement then, right? There is a measurement. You start to roll back oppressive. I mean, really, the surveillance. Can you imagine Patrick Henry, Jefferson, Madison, Adams, the surveillance state? Really? Can you imagine? All right. You want to get rid of the share screen? Are you done now? Sure. I'm done. Yeah. All yeah. Right. Yeah. Find this thing here. There you go. All right. So uh, anybody have any questions for uh, Dr. Seaman before we wrap it up here? Any super chats you want to throw up? And, uh, you know, thanks, everybody, for your support during the show. Uh, it started out slow tonight, but uh, it's grown over the uh, evening. Not too many, uh, you know, uh, what was the part of the brain that was uh, deficient with the uh, well, the amygdala becomes hyper-excitable and massive dendritic expansion in the, in, for the trolls. Yes, yes. So the, the, the mentally impaired, I'll just say. <laughs> Not too many of them. Uh, so anyway, we've got, you know, thanks for the uh, – most of the comments today were pretty, pretty good, and people really did a good job in there tonight. Didn't get too, didn't get too crazy tonight in there. But, uh, you know, if, uh, like I said, we're going to wrap it up here. It's uh, actually, we're right at two hours. So uh, you have anything else that you'd like to add if I don't see any super chats pop up here? No, um, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I, I went through all that stuff largely because um, for some people, you know, it might be good ammunition to like orient their brains in terms of me a measurement scale. Right. And that's what, and that's what none of us ever get taught. So, so when it comes to nutrition, well, I want a measurement scale. I don't want to be emotionally involved with the name of a food. And when it comes to politics, I want to measure in terms of political power and money ex 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 expenditures. And so you have to have a, a, a measurement to, to, to track things. And then you, then your conversation should be about the measurement. And that's right. An, an example to me is where this, you know, this whole intellectual dark web fails miserably. I mean, miserably. They accept the statist environment that we're in, and Jordan Peterson wants us to be better statists. <laughs> Think about that. He's clean up your room, young man. Yeah, somebody was asking statist. if you have an opinion on alkalinity. Uh, well, if you look at the body's pH, so if you do like blood pH, it's about 7.4, and it's regulated very, very carefully uh, moment to moment by your respiration. And so if you like hyperventilate, you blow up CO2, you become alkaline. When it comes to dietary stuff, uh, the, you know, it's interesting, fat has a neutral effect on, on body pH. Protein has an acidic effect that requires buffering. 
And so if you eat basically just meat and grains, you live on basically a very acidic diet and your urine can become acidic. And there's some evidence that this will over time drain some calcium stores out of bone and create osteoporosis as well as nitrogen wasting from muscle. Lots so of it, fat. And vegetables. And vegetables. There you go. Yeah. Um, let's see. Rob C. asks what we think of modern education. Well, you got a couplet with the trivium. I mean, you know, and what is modern education? That's a broad question itself. Are you talking about private school, Christian school, public education, university, you know, college? Uh, and the issue is, is without learning the trivium and the seven, the real seven liberal arts, uh, uh, grammar, logic, rhetoric, arithmetic, geometry, music, astronomy, in that order, uh, you're going to have a limited education. If you couple it with the seven liberal arts, you're going to find, you know, value in it no matter what kind of crap that they teach you. But the issue is, can you cut through the crap and find the truth in what you're being taught? Yeah, if, if, if I was, was younger and I wanted to have children, I'd first of all, I'd have to find someone who would want to uh, have the kids home homeschooled. Right. I would not want them to be exposed to the propaganda. And I mean, just this terrible, I mean, transgender this and that and all the BS, you know, but yeah, I'd agree with you on that. You know, the nice thing is that a lot of the Christian schools still uh, do not teach a lot of that propaganda. So that's at least as far as those schools go, that is good. And then there is still, uh, homeschooling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the education system is miserable. And if you look at how, and you know, the way, the way uh, student loan debt has grown in America, the reason why it's grown the way it has, or at least part of it has to do with the amount of money that the government allows students to, to take out. So they, so they increase the limit of student loans. And as they increase the limit of, of, of loans available to students, tuition goes up accordingly. And sure, and then and then the left keep, takes more and more and more and more and more and more loans out, and then they call for the government to get rid of all their loans that they sign their names to willfully. But you have to realize, though, now the 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 left and the right they're the same from <laughs> from from the from the metric. Well, I, of, I just mean the the, the current. Uh, I get it. Call for for you know getting rid of all school debt and. Oh, I get it. I get it. Totally socializing education. But I think the use of the word the left and the right, at least in in in, in the current context, is really problematic because it in, because it immediately initiates a cascade of 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 thoughts that in the brain that then polarize people and get them into the amygdala. When I use the left and right terms, I'm always or try to always use them in the biblical sense. So, and it adds a lot of clarification to the uh, understanding. But, except uh, that if you're, except that if, if you happen to have Jordan Peterson on and he's talking left and right with you, you'd be talking about two completely different things. But why would I have Jordan Peterson on? I'm just saying though, <laughs> if you had, but I'm saying Dave Rubin or or even Alex Jones, like right? they all think that the left and the right is is this. They don't realize that 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 politics should be measured based upon power and not based upon social and ideologies. And so the left and the right just leads to this like leftist versus rightist. And what are you even talking about? If, if both of them massively expand government debt and, and both of them have massively expanded uh, rules, regulation, I mean, taxing, taxes at your ass to like no end. 
and you can't own your own property. They none of them pull that back. That's all leftist stuff. All right. So we have a, a question from uh, uh, Akira Miyamoto in Canada, who is asking, th- or says, thanks a lot for the good show. Any advice for recovery once you mess up your frontal lobe with too much stress, anxiety? That's a really good question. That is a really good question. Here's what I would suggest that you do. One of the, the cheapest way to, to do is called self-regulation. And the best way to self-regulate is through controlled respiration. And so the cheapest way to do this, and I have no financial relationship with these guys, I tell, and, and if, if there are any practitioners listening, you can make a part of your practice too. It's called the Institute uh, of Heart Math. They're in Northern California. Boulder Creek, I think, does that sound like a Boulder Creek, California? It's northern. Okay, but anyway, so it's called Heart Math, H-E-A-R-T-M-A-T-H. And for like 125 bucks, you can you can get their 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 system. You basically plug a little plug the thingy into your ear, hook it up to your phone, and then you it takes you through the paces of relaxation. And if you can rebalance what this does is it is it reduces sympathetic activity, which is that norepinephrine frontal lobe damaging stimuli. It reduces that and increases the relaxate, the rest and relaxed part of your brain called parasympathetic nervous system called the parasympathetic nervous system. That appears to be uh, the least expensive way that one can do this. There's also a device, I'm not sure if people can buy it themselves. I've not tried it yet, but they say they use it for, for, for uh, successfully for people, uh, uh, military people. It's called alpha stim plug into your ears and that puts you into a parasympathetic state also. But I would say the self-regulation to learn to control is the best would be the, it's called inner balance by heart math. Great. All right. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. And uh, we're going to have you back on here probably in a couple few weeks. And uh, I think next week, oh, and of course I just forgot the guy's name. Uh, next week we're going, and we have, you and I have a lot more to go into uh, on uh, some other topics that you and I have talked about. And I don't want to give it away yet, but it's going to be some really good stuff. But uh, next week, I think we're going to be interviewing Dr. Shiva, who in- invented, literally invented email. So that should be interesting. And uh, we're ha- we'll have a good talk with him about uh, his inventing that, how he invented it, how it was stolen from him, and the controversy over his invention, even though uh, there is no doubt about his inventing it. So uh, thank you so much, Dr. Seaman. I uh, greatly appreciate you coming on again, and I look forward to having you back on soon. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. All right. Have a good night. Good night, everybody. Thanks for your uh, participation. Thanks to everyone who supported the show, and see you next week. Good night.